Um, my name is Matthew Delaney. I work at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. I work about 14, 16 shifts a month, and then I work with the residency also. And the talk today is Lost in the Foam, and it's the Guide to Free Open Access Medical Education for the Technologically Naive. And to start, I want to talk about what is foam. So it's, it's not a specific product. It's, it's not the Internet, which is what my boss the other day said, can you teach me how to do the Internet? Um, so we're not going to teach how to do the Internet today. It's not a particular online resource, although it's heavily based online. And it's basically the idea that high-quality medical education should be free, should be open, and should be accessible. So that's the idea we're talking about. When I say foam, I'm referring to this kind of free, open access community of learners and teachers. And really, this has made, been made possible because of the Internet, but this is not limited solely to the Internet. A simple and significant disclosure, I'll tell you, um, I occasionally will write for some blogs and occasionally do podcasts. Nobody gives me any money. Um, it's just time spent in my basement playing with the computer. Um, when I was asked to do this talk, I actually want to disclose who I am and why I'm up here. Um, I found out I was going to give, to give this talk, and I was really excited. And I thought of myself initially as like, I'm like Steve Jobs. I'm going to introduce you to this amazing new technology that's going to show you how to change your life. And even in my most delusional moment, I realized that I'm absolutely not a Steve Jobs. I mean, I didn't invent an iPhone. I didn't invent the iPad. I thought maybe more like an Elon Musk, like the guy that invented Tesla. So I'm not going to give you a new piece of technology, but I have a really cool car. I have a really cool variation of something you already have, and this is going to make your current experiences better. And in my house, i got two young kids. All my work happens when everybody else is asleep. And so I got kind of deep into making this talk and then made the mistake of showing it to my wife, who couldn't believe that I would compare myself to Elon Musk. And she said, you're like a used car salesman at best. And she pointed out that I'm actually really bad with technology. And her example that she likes to bring up is, in 2004, I got my first cell phone. And after a week, I thought that the technology wouldn't stick around, so I took it back to the store. It's actually hard to get rid of a cell phone in a contract, but about $400 later, I was free of my cell phone for the next year and then finally caved in. And so I'll, I will disclose to you that I don't always have my f finger on the bounding pulse of technology. And so I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I'm a, a foam visionary or a thought leader in the broader foam world, but I'll tell you as the clinician, I've, I, the more I've learned about the foam community, I found it to be an amazing resource that can transform our practice. And so I want to introduce you to this world of free open access medical education, and I want to try to convince you that I think this is something all of us can use on a near daily basis to take better care of our patients. We're going to talk about it from a couple different angles. We're going to talk about what it is. And, more about where it came from historically. We're going to talk about some of the benefits. There are some significant limitations with foam, and I think it's fair to talk about those. And then at the end, I want to walk through how do you get started. And a lot of us probably came in here at different skill levels with a lot of this. So some of it may be basic, some of it may be a little too advanced. But I try to go right down the middle, show you how to get up and running today. And I want to close with different websites and resources that I think are, are high yield. I've added some stuff. The slides for ASAP were due like six months ago, so there actually have been some really good things that have come out since. And so I will give you the link at the end, www.uabem.com has an updated handout. And so if you want to go up there, you pop up the web page. It's the first thing there. It's a Word document. And that's got links to all the resources we're going to talk about today. So don't feel like you have to write them down here. But that's the updated handout. I'll put my email at the end and my Twitter account, too. So just get in touch with me if you want the resources. Don't worry about writing them. Basic idea of foam isn't new. Hippocrates had the idea that medical education should be free. And the Hippocratic Oath says to teach them this art if they desire to learn it without fee and covenant. And this is early foam. So this is a technique where they, I think they used a viper to try to reduce a right shoulder dislocation. 
this didn't work. And this highlights one of the issues we have with foam now. It is easy when things are free and open to get ideas out that really aren't quite ready for prime time. But the basic idea of foam is as old as medicine. This is a more modern example. So this is Rick Bucata and Jerry Hoffman. Who subscribed to Emergency Medicine Abstracts or listened to it? Yeah, I mean, so th these guys kind of laid the groundwork. And this was one of the first audio education programs. And it was timely. So each month, and it's still in this, a very similar format. Each month you get, you know, dozens of articles broken down. It's, it's a bit open access, so you can send letters in and these guys would respond. This was pre-internet, and it wasn't free. And a lot of that wasn't because they, they had an ethical di disagreement about it, but this is how you got it. You got tapes in the mail. And I, I was in the CD era, so I got CDs in the mail. And then they switched over to podcasts. And so I will say this isn't strictly foam because it's not free. But if you look at what's going on today, I think we got to give some credit to these guys who were the first ones to kind of get this cutting-edge, timely resource out there. And a lot of the ideas that these guys started have carried over not a lot changed in the world of medical education until Al Gore invented the internet. And the initial internet is web 1.0. And so that, that, that's thought to be, I show up and a computer will tell me information, I can read information. The, for a lot of us, this was the first introduction we had to the internet. And I remember some of the biggest fights I ever had with my brother were about you know, who picked up the phone and disconnected our internet or how many minutes he had used up. And so uh, things were kind of rough at first. This is really getting closer to where we are now um, this allowed for two-way communication. So with America Online, you could go and you could go in chat rooms. My brother was in a lot of chat rooms, and I don't really want to know the details, but I'll tell you, he didn't seem to leave those AOL chat rooms with any good medical advice. But we're starting to see when America Online comes out that you can go talk to people over the Internet and start to form communities, although my brother's communities are somewhat terrifying. Web 2.0 comes out in the early late 90s, early 2000s, and this really is two-way communication. A lot of people will say that Web 2.0 is social media, but it's probably broader than that. But this is when people start communicating with the Internet. This made foam possible because now it was easy to produce material. It was easy to share material. Who had Facebook originally? Who, who was in college when Facebook came out? Dr. Dolbuck, yeah. I remember I couldn't get on it because I was out of college, and there were just like eight different colleges on there. And so that came out in 2004. Twitter came out in 2006. Podcasts really came out in 2007, and, and really that mirrors when the iPhone came out. You had a phone that could hold a bunch of audio stuff, and that's when people got into podcasts. And we see Web 2.0 starts to ramp up in the mid-2000s. With this rise of Web 2.0, this rise of social media, we started to see a rise in the emergency medicine critical care resources. And so this is a graph from 2002 to 2013. Squares are websites, triangles are blogs, and circles are podcasts. And if you look with a circle, you really have almost no podcasts until 2007. And that's when the iTunes store came out, and that's when, when you, this was easy to get on your phone. The, there's not a newer graph, but I'll tell you, these curves have steepened significantly since. We're, there are thousands of new resources popping up each year. As Web 2.0 develops and as the emergency medicine critical care resources starts to develop, there are a lot of folks making really good material, but there's not a unified framework for the producers of this material or really for us as the consumers. Until 2012, the International Conference of Emergency Medicine was in Dublin, Ireland, and Mike Cadogan is a guy who makes one of the best sites out there, Life in the Fast Lane. He came up with this concept over a beer of using the advancing online resources to create a community of learners and teachers. And he coined this term foam. And what he said is foam is the concept or the name of the community, and the hashtag FOMED is the conversation. And if, if you don't know what hashtags are, a hashtag is basically a way, we're going to go through this later, but it's a way to kind of link topics together. So 2012, the term foam is given, kind of put out there, and in the two years or three years now since, 
All of these resources have really come together under this enormous umbrella of foam. This is in 2014. There were 190,000 individual tweets with the hashtag FOMED and 30,000 different participants. And so that's a pretty impressive growth just in the past two years. And this isn't all-encompassing. So if you did foam but not FOMED, you're not going to be included in this list. But this is when we started to see everything kind of come together. So that's where foam came from. We got the early stages of that and kind of where we are today. Shifting gears, let's talk about the benefits of foam. And when we talk about benefits, what I'm really saying is in comparison to our current model of teaching or publishing or education, first, foam is free and it's open. And so this is the model I think a lot of us were trained in, in this teaching model where the content experts are the teachers. And I've got a friend who is a faculty member at a university that I won't name, and he He's an emergency medicine doc, but is really into pulmonary physiology and understands it amazingly well and can, can, gives a great lecture, has great slides. And he wanted to go teach the medical students and was unable to get even you know, a 20, 30-minute lecture with the medical students because he's not a physiologist. He's not a content expert. He's not a PhD. And that's the issue we run into with the traditional teaching model where content experts are teaching us and you're sitting there listening to somebody who's been there for 40 years. With foam, everybody gets a chance. It's free, it's open, and you can get your voice out there. You can be heard without too many barriers. That's good and bad. And the, 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 the kind of thought leaders in the foam world have said, well, good content will rise to the top. That may be true. We're going to talk about that later. But the nice thing, one of the big benefits, it's free, it's open. And if you have a computer or if you have a cell phone, you can produce a podcast today, put it out there, and see if it kind of catches on. Second benefit of foam is that it's timely. This is a quote by Joe Lex. The spread of information with foam is almost instantaneous. And it's that if you want to know how you practice medicine five, and I would say almost 10 years ago, read a textbook. If you want to know how we did it two years ago, read a journal. If you want to know how we practice medicine now, go to a conference. And if you want to know how we're going to do it in the future, listen in the hallways or use foam. And I think that this is very true. And as I've kind of toyed around with this foam community the past couple of years, I mean, the spread of information is really impressive when you unite everybody together. There's an amazing amount of improved visibility with foam. Who gets more than two paper journals in the mail at their house or their office? Oh, you guys do better than me. <laughs> Who gets more than three? Okay. So, so, I mean, paper journals are still a, a valuable resource, but there's potentially a lot of really good stuff that's out there getting published that nobody gets a chance to see with the, the traditional model of you get a journal in the mail and you read it. And even with journal kind of based websites, there's some limitations. This was a study out of one of the biomedical science journals, and they said that 90% of, of papers that get published in peer-reviewed journals are never cited again, and 50% of, of papers get read by three people, the author, the editor, and the reviewer. And so that's a major limitation in the current model. And, and with foam, it's out there for anybody. If you look at some of the leading foam resources, so Life in the Fast Lane, the guy who invented the word foam, Mike Cadogan, that's his website, and Michelle Lynn runs Academic Life in EM. They're getting amazing numbers of people reading their resources. These are Life in the Fast Lane's views just over a two-month period this year. And they're getting right now about 24 million page views and about 15 million unique visitors each year. Academic Life in EM, this was from two or three months ago, but 3,600 people read an article about rib fractures. That's pretty impressive. Views is a metric that you're not going to get from a lot of the paper journals, but I'll tell you that numbers like that, 15 million people visiting a paper journal, I mean, these numbers keep pace or outpace the, the big players in the world of traditional publishing. Another benefit of FOAM is it really enhances the current model of peer-reviewed publications. And I think to see the benefit it brings to the peer-review process, we have to talk 
about some of the issues with the current peer review process. One of the issues is that peer review, as we know it, is timely and it's expensive. And there's an estimate that it takes a year and $2,000 of opportunity costs to get a paper accepted in a journal. That's not the time you spend writing. That's the, I'm in my office, getting the PDF to look right, submitting it, getting rejected, resubmitting. And so it's, it's not at all cheap in terms of time or money to publish things like we currently know. More recently, a lot of the big journals are doing pay to play, so you're getting publication fees to get something accepted. Again, I understand some of why that's the way it is, but you know, some journals are asking for 3,500 bucks just to get a paper published. So there are some major issues with the current model. There's also issues in terms of who's getting published. There's something called the Matthew effect, and this is from the Bible, and it says, to those who have, much shall be given. And basically this means if you're somebody who has published a lot of things, you're gonna get more stuff published. And, it, and even when they do some blinding, there's a very clear association in terms of people getting things accepted you know, in the first or second round. So it can be very hard to break in given the traditional model. There's also some quality issues. This paper, you can't read the words, and that's on purpose because it's garbage. So this was a computer program that was made that wrote this paper. Um, they are sentences, but they really make almost no sense. This was accepted and published in a peer-reviewed journal that's indexed on PubMed. So you can talk about some issues with the quality of what's out there in the phone world, and we're going to talk about that, but, but I think the traditional world's got some issues as well. As the phone movement's grown, we've really started to see it's how it can enhance the peer review process. And I think of this as the kind of model we've all grown up with, which is you get a couple of slices in the sandwich. You write a paper, the editor may add something, there may be a reviewer, and then it gets published and your sandwich is kind of done. With foam, you get a lot of these extra layers. So you get all the traditional layers, but you get what a lot of folks will call a post-publication critique or post-publication edits. And so you do the writing, a lot of sites will, will do some editing, do some peer, formal peer review process, and then after you get published, all this stuff gets added on because people are contacting you, people are emailing you, you know, things can get changed. Michelle Lynn's site, Academic Life in EM, does a really good job, so they peer review a lot of the stuff they put out there, and if you go to the bottom of the article, it's all visible. So you can scroll through nine different drafts, you can see where people weighed in, you can see what was deleted, and so they've really taken what's sometimes a black box process of peer review and, and opened it wide open. And what you find is you get a lot of extra layers, and a lot of good stuff comes out after the, the piece gets published. We're starting to see this concept of this post-publication critique or enhanced peer review creep into the traditional process. This was a study that came out in the New England Journal in 2013. It basically said, in the ICU, if you bathe people and try to decolonize their nose, you're gonna prevent bloodstream infections. And the author said, if you do this to 54 people, you'll prevent one infection, so an NNT of 54. It was talked about over at the Intensive Care Network, which is a really good critical care kind of pulmonology foam resource. And these guys got together, and some of these are researchers, and basically they did an online journal club and said, you know, these numbers don't seem to add up. And what we think is, it's not a number needed to treat a 50, it's probably closer to 100. And this grew and grew, and this online discussion grew, and in what was, at that point, an unprecedented move, the New England Journal actually listened and published a, a pretty decent correction several months later. And so, that's a really encouraging thing that we're starting to see some of the benefits of foam creep over into the very traditional publishing world of something like the New England Journal. One of the things I like about foam is the novel formats. And so it, it, whether you're an auditory learner or visual learner, foam will accommodate a really broad variety of learning styles. We had a patient come in with a, a hip fracture. She was pregnant. We were having a really hard time getting her pain under control. This wasn't a satisfying case, I'm sure for her, and not for me as a doc either. And I wanted to learn the fascia iliaca block. And I, and I wasn't trained in residency. It's kind of hard for me to pick up ultrasound stuff. It's not my, my 
strongest skill at all. And so I just went online, looked around, and found emergencymedicineireland.com, which is a really interesting site that goes through kind of the basic anatomy. And I was reading about the fascia aqua block, and at the bottom, you can click over, you go to femoral nerve block, and you go to the ultrasound podcast, another really good resource. And they've got videos, they've got audio, you can read the sources that they're citing. You can actually watch folks do the procedure. So I think that this variable format lets us learn in ways we've not been able to learn. We're relying on kind of print media. So there's some benefits to using foam, and there, there are a lot of major limitations I think we've got to keep in mind, and I want to walk you through these. And I don't think any of these are fatal issues, but they have the potential to cause a whole lot of trouble. Quality of foam is one of the biggest potential limitations. And so the foam community is full of really passionate, motivated folks, but the quality of what you get can be really, really unclear. And I found that it's very hard for me to determine when I'm seeing knowledge or this illusion of knowledge. And this is a real thing in a lot of fields, and it's actually been called the, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And on the vertical axis, you have confidence, and on the horizontal axis, you have competence. And so if you look, confidence tends to peak in people with very limited experience. There is nothing more dangerous than an intern who's done two intubations and put in one central line, because they have a, a tremendous confidence-competence mismatch, so they're way up here. And then as competence increases, as you go across, you actually dip. And you see this, I see this with second years or first year attendings. You know, you know enough to really be scared. Your confidence drops again. And then it takes a while. You need more competence, more experience to get over to the expert side. And I think this is part of the thing we run into with foam is that we have people who are really pumped up, who know how to produce things online, and you see a confidence-competence mismatch. This happens... This happens in a lot of different fields, and, and I think that this, this is called the diffusion of innovations theory. And this, to me, helped me understand why are we seeing some major issues with quality. And this talks about how technology gets spread across a culture. And what it's saying is on the left, you've got the innovators. And then the technology will kind of build to the point you get this chasm or this gap. And then once that gap gets bridged, you get in the early majority here. Um, typically, to jump bridge this chasm, you have to have some kind of development. That, that makes it possible for other people to jump on board with these ideas. This is the graph from earlier showing the EM critical care resources kind of matched up to the diffusion of innovation theory. And I think in the early 2000s, you had the, the MRAPs, the emergency medicine abstracts, life in the fast lane, a lot of the ones that we know. And then you kind of get this gap, this chasm. And I, I would argue this chasm is probably has been bridged by the iPhone. It comes out in 2007, and suddenly it's easy to follow podcasts. It's easier to follow a lot of these resources. It's easier to produce these things. And then you get into the kind of early majority. And I'd say we're right here. And honestly, I think we're kind of getting towards the late majority here where a lot of people are on board with this. And so I think that's where our variable quality comes from. I'm, I think it's awesome when a med student puts a blog up, but I don't know that they're the one that should be kind of the gold standard resource. And so I think you got to, when you're looking at foam resources, realize who's producing material. But I think what we're seeing is there's just a lot more stuff out there. And, and that's because this has become almost commonplace for a lot of folks. A second potential limitation of foam involves the idea of push versus pull learning. Push learning is what a lot of us are used to. So information is pushed to you by some authority. And this is like reading a textbook or a residency training curriculum. Pull learning is, is driven by the learner. I want to know something. I go to a resource and I pull the information back to me. And this is like a Google search. Foam typically will favor the pull type learning. And this can create certain problems. One of the things is we see a really drastic imbalance in terms of the topics that get talked about in the foam world. And if you just look at what's available online, so there is an infinite number of resources that talk about STEMIs and EKGs in the setting of STEMI. And if you look at the numbers of visits to the ER, that's 0.1% of the patients we see have a STEMI. 
I looked, I couldn't find a single foam post about a patient with abdominal pain who has a normal workup. It's not out there. And that's 5% of our visits to the emergency department. And so I think for advanced learners, that's not a big deal, right? We know if you've practiced for more than a couple of months, you, can t you know how to take care of the abdominal pain, looks fine, needs to go home. And so I don't need that information necessarily, but I think for beginners or people who are still learning, you have to be really careful about what gets emphasized or overemphasized and what gets brushed over because you're, you're getting a lot of this imbalance because people are pulling the information that they find appealing. Free aspect of foam is nice because it's free. I think there's some major limitations. Foam is not free if you're making it. So infrastructure costs money. And the kind of irony is the people who are more popular, so life in the fast lane, to, to, to have the infrastructure to have 15 million visits, that's really expensive. Um, there's also an argument that free does not necessarily equate with high quality. And so if you look at just web design, you see a really slick website, that's probably not a free website. In web development, one of the residency programs I talked to, they spent 60 grand getting their website off the ground. So free is great, but also we may be sacrificing quality if we really stick to the free model. There's the issue of opportunity cost. If you make a lot of foam, what is it? What are you doing with your time? I've run into that. My boss calls it the internet. It's, I'm not getting a bonus for it, I don't get promoted for it, it's just some stuff I do online. And so, yeah, there's definitely opportunity costs there. CME is one of the issues, and what's happened until recently was that you would, people would use foam, and then at the end of the year have to go pay something else, someone else or somebody else to get their CME, because CME has to be issued by somebody. Some of the sites, like EMCRIT's, Scott Weingart's site, does a really good job of allowing you to read the posts, and then there's a pay model where you can pay to get CME credit. But this is kind of one of the looming discussions or issues with, with FOAM is, can we transition this over to this is how we learn going forward, or we're going to still be stuck doing kind of formal CME. The open access part of FOAM I like, but it can cause some, some big issues. I talked to somebody, there was a lawsuit because they did a FOAM post and mentioned a, a, a case that was identifiable. And so that's a real issue. Um, there are, it hadn't been settled in the courts yet, but it may set a pretty bad precedent. So you gotta be careful what you're putting out there, make sure that somebody can't identify themselves. One of the things about it is it's very easy to get things off the internet that are not ready for prime time. And there was a great post a couple years ago, Push Toast Pressers was on MRAP, was on MCRED, a lot of people were talking about this. And I had a good resident who said, I wanna do Push Toast Pressers. And they used them, and the patient had an adverse event that I really don't think was related. The, the resident had mixed up the drug correctly. And what happened was it's against our hospital policy to do push-dose pressors. You can't mix your own drugs. And so this was a major sentinel event within the hospital system, and all of the eyes in the hospital turned and looked at these online resources. And so there's, if you're not careful, you can get ahead of what really is accepted practice where you may practice, and then there's a lot of scrutiny back. And I'll tell you, that's a hard meeting to sit in where they say, you did all this based off a podcast that you got off your iPhone. So just, I think you have to be careful about making big changes in your practice without knowing kind of what you're doing in your, in your department. The public perception of foam can be a big limitation. This is what my boss thinks I do. Um, I think she thinks that I'm a middle school girl using my cell phone. I would say there is a legitimate use of social media. I think it's made foam possible, but foam is not just social media. And so really, the ideas of foam exist apart from social media. Social media is what's made it possible. And so this is still, this is gonna be a hard thing to convince people that no, I'm actually doing work on my phone or there's a legitimate use to, to Facebook um, because a lot of these perceptions are this is just what kids do when they're in middle school and don't wanna talk to their parents. So that's where foam came from. We've talked about the benefits, we've talked about the limitations. And I wanna show you how I've figured out how to learn foam and integrate it into my daily practice. 
there are kind of three ways. Keeping up to date is the first one, and this is this is largely push information, and this is how I get a big balance or get the the bulk of my learning. You can read. There's portals. There's compilations. There's individual sites, and you can listen, and it's going to be podcasts. When reading, portals offer a decent way for you to see what's out there, and so a portal is basically a website that pulls in all the foam resources you can find. The benefit is this is going to cover everything that's going on. So foam, EM, RSS, and again, the links are going to be in the handout. But if you go to this website, they've got 3,524 pages of foam goodness that you can click through. The, that's nice, but that's an almost insurmountable barrier to entry. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And so portals are nice if you want to see everything that's going on, but you've got to be careful about what's called filter failure, which is, I can't get through 3,500 pages, so I'm just going to stop and not look at this anymore. Foam Base is a really nicely organized portal. What they do is they do it two ways. They organize it by pathology or organ system. So if I want to know, the other night we had a pericarditis case, and I just try to figure out what we're supposed to do. So I can click pericarditis, and as a portal, they've grabbed almost everything that's been tagged as pericarditis and foam, but it's, it's by organ system, it's by disease process. So it lets me narrow down the information I'm, I'm going to go through. They have what's called a foam feed. So if you really like being bombarded by information or if you're caught up today and you want to get stuff right as it's off the presses, you can get it through this. And again, I like portals. I use foam base, but the, big, the biggest issue is going to be where do you start with this? I feel like it's kind of shown up to a party in the last like, 25 minutes of the party. Party's been up and running and you're just trying to get a drink before they kick you out. Um, for folks starting out, I would say portals are one way to go. I would recommend compilations. And if that's all you want to do, I think that's actually a really good way to jump in the foam world. So a compilation is every, somebody else pulls the information, puts it into like a newsletter format, and pushes it to you. The absolute best one out there, I think, is life in the fast lane. And so what they do is they pull it from a wide variety of sources. And you see they kind of cast a bright, they go foam ed for the hashtag, then foam critical care, foam tox, peds, ultrasound, and then internal medicine there. So they're getting everything possible. They're looking through there. And they have kind of content experts or thought leaders in the foam world. And then once a week, they'll go through. They'll say, these are the high-yield resources from this week. And it gets, you can get it. You can get it emailed. You can get it on your phone. So it's kind of the best of the best in the world of foam. They also do a really good research and reviews. And what they'll do is go through and, and pick out big studies out of the traditional journals. And then they'll, they will evaluate them here. And so they've got, you know, hot stuff, landmark paper, game changer, and then there's some trash in there. And so I think that this is a really nice way to keep up with publications that you may miss because you don't want to rely solely on the foam world, and this lets you kind of keep your finger in both pots. EM Curious is the second site that does a really good compilation, and they get this out nearly weekly, and they do a foam review. So it's very similar to the Life in the Fast Lane compilation. They also do an evidence-based medicine that comes out about once a month. I like this one because they'll go through one article. So let's say this is the kind of the hot article this month. They'll break it down and do a really good review. And so it's, it's a nice way to get something that's a little pre-digested. And again, this gets pushed to you. It's super easy to keep up with. So there's the portals that will flood you with all the information out there. They're the compilations that narrow down a little bit. And then they're the individual sites, kind of the raw ingredients that make up foam. And I think that once folks get past the first few steps, this is where the meat of it is, because this is you taking the ingredients and making kind of the learning resource that you want. The key to individual sites is using an RSS reader. And so RSS is rich site summary or really simple syndication. And basically, it's a computer code that lets you subscribe to a particular website and get all the new posts or updates pushed to you. This is the logo. So if you're online and you see this, that means this is a site that's got that piece of code so you could follow this and have all this information brought to you. 
what you need to do, the first step is really find a website you want, but that RSS code is just a computer code. It's not like you click on it and it magically does something. So you need an RSS reader or a feed aggregator is what people will call it. There are a lot of these on the market. These seem to be the two that are the easiest to use. There's Pulse and there's Feedly. I use Pulse. A lot of folks use Feedly. There's, as with everything on the internet, four billion opinions about this. But these are, seem to be the two that most people like. Google Reader was big and it went away, and most people jumped to one of these. This is the logo. This is what Pulse will look like when you get it on your phone. And so you click on that, it pops this up, and what you're seeing here is just these are the different sites. So this would be like a Wednesday update, a Tuesday update, a Sunday update, and it's in chronological order. It's a nice graphical interface. And one of the things you can do with both Pulse and Feedly is have different pages. And so if you want to do ultrasound, emergency medicine, EKG, you can separate it page to page. Then when you go up, you say, I want to go technology. These are all my sites. When you click on one, you get it like this, and it kind of looks like a magazine. So it's a very user-friendly, kind of pleasing thing to read through, and it's, it's automatically getting updated. Every time you turn your phone on, you're going to get all the newest stuff from all these different sites. I think the big, playing with them, the big differences between Feedly, look, you can do almost everything with Feedly that you can do with Pulse. There are other products out there, so there's Flipboard is another common one that doesn't seem to work quite as well for the foam stuff, just for, for graphic reasons. So Pulse, Feedly, and again, with Feedly, you can use the different lists, go over, and it looks very similar to Pulse. So first, get your RSS feed, get your aggregator, and then you gotta find sites to put on there. And I think there's three ways to do it. You can search using the reader search function. So you can go into Pulse, go into Feedly, and just type emergency medicine, and it'll pop up a good number of sites. One of the ways it's a little easier is actually to look at lists that somebody else has made. Again, all these links will be in the handout, but there's foam-based foam feed, so you can just look on the side of that foam-based portal, and they'll list all the sites they go to. If you just Google foam ed, put it in quotes, it'll actually pop up a ton of lists. It seems like every residency has kind of compiled their own lists, and so that's an easy way to find sites you might not otherwise is just search for foam ed and see what comes up. And then if you have Feedly, they have a foam EM list already made. So you get Feedly, just write foam EM, and it will pop up a list automatically, and you can pull all those sites in. The other way to do it is to use what's called an OPML file. It sounds like fancy computer, it actually is fancy computer talk for outline processor markup language. Basically, this is a list somebody made. They created this file, they put it on their website. And so what you do is you go to their website, download their file, then you go, in your, you go on Feedly and upload. And so that's what this is here. So emcentral.org has probably the best OPML file I could find. You download it, and then in Feedly, you just go to add content and import the file. And what you do is you automatically have this tricked out Feedly feed because somebody else set it up for you. Pulse won't let you do OPML files, so that's a downside. If, that, if this seems like the way you want to do it, I would not use Pulse, I would do Feedly. The risk with using somebody else's list is gonna be filter failure. You're gonna get a bunch of stuff that that person was interested in, and again, this is a really good one. It's not a bad starting point, but you may end up with 50 sites and you only wanna really follow eight of them. And so a lot of people like to look at the lists to see what's out there, but, but building up, kind of starting with what you're interested in may be a more sustainable way to do this. Podcast, most everybody's gonna use iTunes, unless you're on an Android. Pocket Cast seems to be the biggest non-iPhone-based app. This is, comes with your phone. You click on that and you're up and running with podcasts. It certainly seems to be the most user-friendly. And if you got some phone that doesn't support that, it, it's, there are, again, thousands of different apps for podcasts. They've all got pluses and minuses. But the iTunes native one that comes with an iPhone is actually really, really easy to use. Again, you go to the, this is the icon here. And what you want to do is you go to the store 
you would search, and you come down here and you get all the podcast episodes. And so an easy way to do it is say, go to search, emergency medicine. It's going to pop up a bunch of different podcasts. And then you can either download the individual podcast or you can subscribe and follow the feed. Um, a lot of this, whether you get individual or subscribe, this will take up a lot of space on your phone, so just be careful. I signed up for like 12 in one day, and my phone filled up almost overnight. So feed is good if you know you want to listen to it, but if you're not going to listen to a ton of podcasts, it may be better to kind of sample them by individual episodes. Finding podcasts, again, go on iTunes. It's not a bad way to type in just emergency medicine. This is kind of a screenshot of my phone with some of the different ones I've got. Again, all links will be in the handout. Life in the Fast Lane has a really good list of podcasts. So if you go to Life in the Fast Lane, look for the... L-I-T-F-L-E-M slash C-C list, and it's kind of on the opening page, and they'll tell you all the podcasts they follow. It's not a comprehensive list of every podcast out there, but these guys have been around. The ones that they recommend to the list are, are, are pretty good resources. Finally, if we're talking about staying up to date, Twitter is actually a, a really good way to stay plugged in. Twitter is kind of hard to understand. It's taken me a while to figure out what it exactly is. And it's two things, really. It's a micro-blogging platform. So you can go on there and say 140 characters. Whatever you want to talk about, you've got 140 characters. And it's also a messenger. So if I want to talk to somebody, I can connect with them using Twitter. This is where hashtags come from. And they seem daunting. There's a lot of ets and hashtags. It's just a way to link topics. So if I want to talk about elbows, I can do 140 characters about an elbow, hashtag elbow, hashtag foam ed, and then anybody else that really cares about elbows that day can search for elbows and read whatever I had to say in those limited number of characters. The thing that's nice about Twitter is it drops the translation time to zero. You know, if I have an idea, I can put it out there, and whoever's following me or searching for it can immediately see what I'm putting out there. FOMED is the initial hashtag and probably the most popular. So if you're doing something that you or you want to get some opinions from folks or, or link with other folks about a foam topic, I would do FOMED. If you just go on Twitter and type FOMED, you can actually find a, a, there are a lot of really good kind of voices within emergency medicine. And that's what I found to be neat about Twitter. It lets you follow notable voices in emergency medicine. So if you look, Jeff Klein is on Twitter. If you want to know what Jeff Klein thinks tomorrow about PE, you can tweet at him, you can connect with him, or you can just follow him and see you know, what he puts out there. It's, it's a, starting to be used in residencies a lot. So different programs, when they have their conference, will hashtag EMConf for EMConference. And so I've started to follow a lot of those. It's nice just to see what other programs are doing, and it's, it's a not bad way to kind of keep up with different curriculum. And then at big conferences, so at ASAP, people will tweet during lectures. And so it's a nice way if you can't make it to a conference. Essentials was a few weeks ago, and I didn't go to Essentials, but I, I was interested in what they were talking about. And so I just followed them, and, and they would tweet from every lecture. So it's a, it's a pretty cool way to see what's going on in the world of emergency medicine from afar. And once you get up and running, it's really easy. You just follow a couple people, find some hashtags you like. And, and I consume Twitter but don't produce much because I just like knowing what other people are saying. But it's kind of daunting. It's not the most user-friendly, but it is, I think, a really important way to, to keep up. That's the basic way run down a how to keep up to date with foam. So the majority of the time I use foam, it actually, at work, it's to answer quick questions. It's on shift. And there's three super high-yield resources. If you take one thing away from this talk, I want you to start using foam search. So foam search is a customized Google search engine. And what it does is you search for something, steroids and sepsis. I, I can't remember. Are we doing this still? And I type it in, and immediately this is what I get. It breaks it down by discipline, so I can say I only want to have journals. I want to have family practice, med ed, crit care, and it'll tell you kind of how the information is distributed. I don't know who made this. I don't know how they did it, but it's awesome. It will pull, it seems to pull the highest yields. This isn't like when you used to have to use Ask Jeeves on the Internet. This pulls up high-yield stuff, and almost always within the first three, four things it pulls back, I've got my question answered. So foam search, 
is absolutely a practice changer. I, I use it dozens of times per shift because this takes 10 seconds and I've got an answer. NNT.com, David Newman started this site. So this is easy explanations in terms of the evidence behind what we do. A lot of it started as treatments for various issues. So they break it down as NNT number needed to treat, NNH number needed to harm, and it's very user friendly. They do green means there's a benefit, yellow is unclear, red is no benefits, and then caution is harms may be greater than benefits. They've started to use likelihood ratios, which I think is, is pretty helpful at the bedside in terms of making a diagnosis. You care about aortic dissection, you want to know what do I need to worry about in terms of what the patient's saying, what they've got on exam, and this is easy to plug in. So this is a really good way to bring kind of a heavier evidence-based focus to your practice. MedCalc, I've stopped learning formulas. There's really no point, even for something like PERC. It's, this is on my desktop, I click over. This is great if somebody's arguing, a consultant's arguing about an admission, you get a port score, PSI, CHAD score. IndyCalc is that Google search and NNT are, are saved on my desktop at work. Fundamentals are, are kind of the third part of foam. And honestly, a lot of this is more for beginning learners. And with my residents, there's always this, do I really need to buy a textbook? Do I really need to buy a textbook? Probably you still do, but I think we're rapidly getting into the age where you probably don't. There's WikiEM, Life in the Fast Lane, EM updates in the bottom line, and I'll walk you through what these will bring. WikiEM is, is essentially Wikipedia with a little bit of peer review for emergency medicine. So for weird stuff that you don't do all the time, thyroid storm, myxedema coma, this is a great resource to say, what, is the basic, what are the basics I need to cover with this patient? Very good on shift, and again, it's great for stuff like tox or endocrine stuff you just don't see a lot, and it's easier than finding the latest or the, the last edition of some textbook that's under the, the workstation desk. Emergency Medicine Updates is a good site. So Ruben Strayer is the guy who made this, and basically, I think when he was a resident, he went through Rosen's, and in two and a half years, took all of Rosen's and put it onto note cards, and he wrote them here. He's much better handwriting than me. But So this is Rosen's online covering about 1,400 posts. And again, very reliable resource to say, I want to learn about sulfonylurea toxicity. Come in here, you can find it. The other thing he does, which is awesome, is these, these checklists. And so this one for emergency department intubation checklist, it's a great way to implement kind of a standard approach in high-risk situations. So this is a great fundamental resource that also helps you navigate some kind of tricky practice scenarios. Bottom line is awesome for opinionated consultants. If they come down and say, we do this based on the commit trial, I forget what the commit trial is. I go to the bottom line, I find it, I get a summary, they break it down for me. So landmark studies, this is good. This helps you get a jump on them when you're trying to put in kind of a softer admission. So we have keeping up to date, we have on shift, and we have the fundamentals. And now I want to look at some of the top phone resources that are available. I'm going to go through 10 websites, five podcasts. And these are the ones that I've found. If you follow these, you, you get a pretty good idea of what's going on out there in the world of foam. Rebel EM, Salim Rezaei put this out there. I really like this website. They are very timely. So new paper comes out. They've got a really easy to read, well thought out, well edited post, usually within a couple of days. Not a lot of fluff. You know, they were big on the peripheral pressers through peripheral IVs. So if, if you want to do that, this is a great website for, for kind of more cutting-edge stuff. Rebelcast is an accompanying podcast, which is also a good podcast to follow. Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine is a guy, Ken Milne, puts this out. I like this because they will break down one paper per post. They do a good analysis of the evidence. They rate the quality of the studies. And there's also a podcast. And so for here, does Rivaroxaban, are we doing this for, v, for venous thromboembolic disease? They ask a clinical question. 
And then what they'll do is they'll cite the article and then walk you through this checklist in terms of the quality and summarize it at the bottom. I'm not an evidence-based medicine expert. And so for, for me, this is awesome because I can see the article. I can figure out, you know, what are we supposed to do with this information? One of the things they've started doing is releasing an ebook. So all their posts for the year get released in a, as a PDF. And so I've got this on my iPad now, and it's, it's cool. I'm reading through a year's worth of, hey, these are the studies you should have gotten a year ago. This is kind of where we're going with this. Academic Life in EM is put out, was put out by Michelle Lin, and it's got a bunch of really high-yield resources. So I started using it for the tricks of the trade, and it was kind of on-shift tricks. Do you dermabond a, a bad finger laceration? Um, they've started doing how I work smarter, and what that is is a series of posts where they get kind of leaders in emergency medicine, sit them down or, or talk to them online and say, how are, you more, how are you efficient at work? What do you do with email? How do you chart? What are some like, tips for other learners? And so this is a great way to work on efficiency, kind of job performance. And then the PV cards are the paucus verbis, which is in a few words. And these are really nice resources. So it's a summary answer for clinical topics. So if you have a septic arthritis come in, go to Academic Life and EM, click on the PV cards. Michelle's got cards to cover almost everything, and you get a very concise breakdown in terms of here's the data for what we do, why we do it, and here's what you need to worry about. Um, they've also started doing a couple different things. The AIR series is approved institutional resources, and what this is is kind of peer-reviewed foam resources that you can use if you're at a residency program. It, it will count as credit for, for the resident didactics. And so for those of us who do that, that's great. If you're not working with residents, it's, this is kind of the best of the best. they got pros to sit down and go through it and say, hey, this is, these are really good resources. And my suspicion is they're going to start tying this to CME. And that'll be awesome because it's already good resources. And once they get the CME part of it, that takes care of a big issue for us. They also do the capsule series, which is expert curated foam resources about pharmacology, really, really high-yield pharmacology. And then the ALIEM University is kind of their umbrella that they used to, to put a lot of these educational resources under. Probably one of the better sites out there. There's a ton of good stuff on there. Dr. Smith's EKG blog, really good EKG site. I would say this is like a master's level class in EKGs. They do a nice job of blending foam with traditional publications, and so they'll do posts. And then this was accepted in annals. And so it's kind of nice to see Leaders in the foam world getting accepted in traditional journals. I think it's a great bringing two worlds together. Emergency medicine lit literature of note, or EM lit of note, Ryan Radeski, this is his site, and these are very good editorials about publications. And it takes a very honest, a little bit skeptical, but, but more honest than anything, look at different studies. It's a great site for keeping up with, with news. And so in June, on June 24th, ASEP released the new TPA policy. By the 29th, Ryan had already put his commentary about this, and he's a very, seems to be a very transparent, open, brilliant guy. And so if you want to, something comes out, you're not sure what to think of it, you can't quite figure out, you know, is this, is this worth doing, this is a great resource, and not much slips past him. And, and you, you seem to be able to get a very honest take on things from the site. Palm Critical Care Medicine is, is probably the most comprehensive critical care resource out there. Very good summaries, very good guidelines. You want to know what we're doing for outpatient COPD. This is a great repository for that. And they do very good literature updates. And so if you do a lot of critical care stuff, very good site here. The Poison Review is a great website for toxicology. I feel like toxicology is one of those, those fields where there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's out there, but none of us get tox journals unless you are a toxicologist. And so we would otherwise miss it. These guys go through, have a very good rating study or rating system for the different studies, not worth reading at all, and then a landmark study. And they always do these tox tunes, and fittingly, when I got this, and it was a Grateful Dead tune, but very good way to stay up with 
tox, which we see a lot of, but normally wouldn't necessarily kind of read about on a daily basis. Pharmacy literature is weird. I would have told you I have no desire to read pharmacy literature, but it's actually really high yield, and it's kind of like tox. The pharmacists are doing really important things that haven't necessarily bled over into what we're doing. Emergency Medicine PharmD seems to be the best pharmacy website I could find. Really good breakdown of drug issues, pharmacy issues as they relate to us in the emergency department. They've got this Empower podcast, Emergency Medicine Pharmacists Offering Words from Episodes of Reality. And so this has been a big practice changer to see what the pharmacists are thinking about us. And a lot of times we're making major errors that, that, that we would not realize until you start kind of hearing what do the pharmacists out there have to say. EM Lyceum. So a Lyceum is historically been an institution where popular lectures are delivered about scientific subjects. And so this was started out of Bellevue in New York, and it does a good job of crowdsourcing questions and giving you evidence-based answers. And the way it works is they'll put out syncope questions, a couple different questions. A lot of it's kind of how do you do this at your shop or why do you do what you do? You wait a couple weeks and they put out syncope answers. And what it reads like is a very well-written review article. Um, they, they cover really pertinent where the rubber meets the road questions in terms of how do we take care of folks in the emergency department. And it's nice because you can participate. You want to get into producing foam, this is an easy way to do it. Don't forget the Bubbles is a really good pediatric site. There are a lot of pediatric sites that are very good. This one seems to be kind of the leader in terms of very frequent updates. They do this from the journal, which does a good job of capturing kind of high-yield pediatric articles out there. And again, I don't read, it to, I don't read any peds journals. So this is a good way to, to keep up to date with what are we supposed to do with kids. They break the methods down in a very user-friendly format. And then the PEM review is a really good pediatric compilation. It's like they push you the newsletter of all the good pediatric stuff over the course of the month. Five different podcasts. MRAP, I think, is the, is the leader. I will admit this is not a free podcast, but I think they have shown their quality of what they put out there is really, really good, and that's not free. I mean, to have audio engineers and people to put it out there, but I'd say if you, if you don't know about podcasts, I would start with MRAP. Absolutely either sets the pulse or has its finger firmly on the pulse of what we're doing in emergency medicine. HIPPO-EM is the broader MRAP, so that's kind of the organization that emergency medicine wrap comes out of. They've got an urgent care wrap. They're kind of broadly expanding what they do, but if you are new to online learning, this is a really good place to start. ERCast, Rob Orman has put this out. This is an awesome kind of voice of a community doc. That's what a lot of us do. And so if you want realistic opinions on what do we do with patients that come in with different pathologies, I think ERCast is very, very well done. And it's also short. It's usually like 20 to 40 minutes. And so MRAP is four hours most of the time. So this is an easy one to start with. You can listen to it when you drive in and, and hear what other guys are doing. Emergency medicine cases have really good reviews of fundamental topics in emergency medicine. They do some journal updates. They do some policy issues, which is kind of interesting. And they do a series called Best Case Ever, where they sit down with providers and say, tell us about the most memorable case you've had. And so it, this one is a good mix of practical stuff and, and also keeping up with some of the broader issues in emergency medicine. MCRIT, this one's been around for a long time. Scott Weingart runs this site. Very, very well done site. Absolutely one of the pioneers in the world of foam. This is really cutting edge. This really pushes the science well ahead of, of, of where a lot of us are practicing. And a lot of times they have ideas that are well ahead of publications. Who's doing delayed sequence intubation in their shop? Yeah, so some of us, a good number of us are. You know, Scott Weingart's been hyping that for several years. The publications are, are now starting to pop up in the journals. But this idea was out there, widely disseminated, and I think helping take better care of patients for years before it hit the journals. And so this is a, you got to be careful because 
and, and he describes it as not for the beginning learners, but I'd say if you've got residents, a great site for them to look at, but, but you often have to give them some kind of frame of reference in terms of what are we actually, is this actually something we can do today? Last one is Smart EM. David Newman and his wife Ashley Shreves put this out there. Really good job of taking the hard science and applying it to a rational clinical practice. They do what they call deep dives on various subjects. So you want to know everything about troponin, and you got two hours, listen to this. You'll know more about troponin than any cardiologist you've ever met. They show the evolution of the literature. They'll start with, this is the first paper ever on this subject, and they'll come up to kind of where we are now. The thing that's cool that they're doing, they're now doing the Annals of EM podcast monthly. Has anybody listened to that? So it's 40 minutes, and you get, they run down almost all the articles from Annals that month. And so I've not read Annals in a few months because I've just been doing this podcast. All the papers in under an hour, and it's kind of hard to beat. So lost in the foam. So I, I hope I convinced you that there are some benefits. I hope I've told you that there are definitely some pitfalls or some limitations. And then in terms of using your resources, there's portals which will blast you with everything out there that you keep up. There's compilations where somebody's getting you the newsletter, giving you all the information, and doing all the work of kind of curating it. The individual sites, again, get an RSS reader, get Pulse, get Feedly, and then just start picking your sites and start following some, kind of see what you like, delete the ones you don't want. And then with podcasts, it's easy to do. It comes to your phone. It's a great way to fill time that you're otherwise going to spend driving or running or just sitting around. This is my residency website, www.uabem.com. I've got it there, too. The handout should be up there. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. I'll stay up afterwards. This is my Twitter account, so if you want to tweet at me or tell me you didn't like some of these, feel free to. Um, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming, and I'll be up here if you have any questions.